This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for June 9th, 2017. In this podcast, I'm talking to a man who spent years behind bars in federal maximum security prisons for being at the center of a major criminal enterprise. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On the line now, I have Richard Stratton. He's the author of the book recently published called Kingpin. Uh, Richard, are you a criminal mastermind? Well, the government sort of believed that I was a, uh, that I was a leader of a so-called uh, family within the hippie mafia, and the hippie mafia was a loose-knit group of uh, international marijuana and hashish smugglers, who were strictly uh, cannabis-related smugglers. We had nothing to do with hard drugs, but. It was a phenomenon that happened in the 70s and up in through the 80s when the huge, uh, tremendous boom in the marijuana business took place. And these groups of mostly young, well-educated hippies uh, got together to, uh, to satisfy this tremendous demand for cannabis products in North America. And I was part of that whole movement. And it was interesting because I, I believe it was it was motivated not so much by greed and uh, for for money, but but also for a kind of American feeling that we as Americans had a right to alter our consciousness as we saw fit, as long as we weren't hurting anyone else. And I think the remarkable thing about it is that we changed the culture. I mean, marijuana is virtually legal in this country and in Canada now and in other parts of the world, although with this new regime, they seem to be uh, looking to go back to the old days of the reefer madness. But, when, you say, um, when you say reefer madness, you mean the behavior of the government, the, the legal reaction, not the effect of the drugs, right? Yes, it was madness. It was uh, crazy that they would criminalize this plant and that they would run around with guns and helicopters and raid these these plantations of pot. And you'd see these heavily armed uh, combat fatigued cops running around pulling up plants. It just seems so ludicrous and absurd, you know, of course, but there was this this stigma out there that marijuana would would make you start shooting heroin if you if you smoke pot and that it was would ruin your lives, which, you know, we now know is not true. I mean, there are a lot of people who've smoked pot who've never touched any harder drugs and who have smoked pot for many, many years and it hasn't ruined their lives. I mean, I can give you half a dozen examples of people who are extremely successful and who smoke pot on a regular basis. So all of the myths that they put a poor perpetrated about pot that it will cause you to sh- shoot heroin that it'll, and there was one time when they they started to say that if you were male and you smoked pot it would make your breasts grow abnormally large which seemed kind of cool to us it's like oh well, a big tip but you know it's just all this absurdity but hang on you're you are a criminal whatever you think of the law you're not entitled to rewrite it unilaterally just to suit yourself that's true 
That's very true. I was a major criminal. I was what they call a kingpin. We huge bringing in huge amounts of marijuana, and I I got caught in 1982, and I went to trial both in the state of Maine and in the in the city and state of New York, where I was convicted under the so-called criminal the continuing criminal enterprise statute and sentenced to 25 years in prison with no parole. That's essentially an anti-mafia law. Well, yeah, it's 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 part of that whole RICO statute, but it was it was specifically designed for people who were in the drug business. And basically, the idea was that as a kingpin, you would have more than four or five people working for you. You would make a large amount of money, and you would violate certain number of statutes in the in the uh, anti-drug. Drugs laws. So, you know, I fit all those categories. And, and, and they did try me as a kingpin in New York City and uh, found me guilty. And I went to prison and did my time. What was your sentence? What exactly did you serve? Well, I was sentenced to 25 years and with no parole. And I was sent originally to uh, Lewisburg, which is a maximum security penitentiary in, in Pennsylvania. And from there, I was sent. The, the feds move you around. As my as my time diminished, what happened was I appealed my sentence on the grounds that it was coercive rather than punitive because the judge, God bless her, may she rest in peace, in New York said when she sentenced me, the reason I've given you so much time is because you refuse to cooperate with the government. Now, what they mean by that cooperation with the government basically means that you become a snitch, a rat, a stool pigeon, whatever you want to call it, and that you give up all your friends, everything you know about the business, and I refused. I just said, no, look, I did the crime. Let me do the time. And, uh, and it's the judge sentenced me based on my refusal to cooperate. So the sentence then became coercive rather than punitive. And ultimately, after many years in prison, five or six years in prison, I appealed the sentence on the grounds that it was coercive rather than punitive. And the, the appellate court vacated my sentence and remanded me for resentencing before a new judge who sentenced me to 10 years, non-parolable. And then I got out after eight. So that was my whole, uh, that's, that's the subject of the second book. Kingpin tells the story of those eight years in prison and of those two trials and of this sort of continuing um, war against plants, as I call it. The war against plants is the war against marijuana. How did the authorities catch up with you eventually? What, how did you get caught? How I got caught? Well, we, I was one of the founders of High Times Magazine, and the government knew about me and about the people that were involved in the creation of that magazine, the first and only magazine ever to be devoted to an illegal activity, I might add. And so they were aware of me, and they were also aware of my partner up in Toronto, who is a huge um, distributor of, of uh, cannabis products, marijuana and hashish. So they, they had arrested us in 78 for, uh, for a load that came in, but they, they blew it. They lost the evidence, and we got away with it. We were um, ultimately not even tried. So they were aware of me for years, but they just couldn't f quite figure out what the deal was or where I was. I kept moving around. I traveled a lot. Finally, what happened was they arrested a Lebanese guy, two Lebanese guys here in New York City who were trying to sell 10 kilos of heroin to an undercover DEA agent. And these guys didn't know me particularly, but their father knew me. Their father was the chief of customs in Beirut. 
And when they, after they arrested these guys, they said to this one guy, look, do you know this guy Stratton? He said, well, my father knows him. I've met him, but my father knows him because I used to smuggle hashish out of Lebanon. So what they did was they lured me in through this man's father. And I became, I left, I was living in uh, Hawaii at the time. I left Hawaii and came into Los Angeles and they arrested me at the airport in Los Angeles. So, so you spent eight years in prison in a pretty tough prison system. Was it worth it? Well, yes, I would say it was worth it for many reasons. I mean, as I've said before, I think, you know, there was the money, obviously. The money was what kept it all going. But it was really more about, as I've said before, the idea that as Americans, we should have the right to alter our consciousness as we see fit, so long as we're not hurting anyone else. So it was really about freeing the plant, so to speak, about defying the government and about, you know, the thing about Americans, I believe, is that as Americans, we're supposed to uh, we're supposed to fight against our government when they become totalitarian and start to tell us how to live our lives. This is the idea of, of, of personal freedom, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. What could be? More- uh, hang on. Hang on a second. I, I agree with you that marijuana should be legalized, but you can't just unilaterally disregard the laws, you were still causing a lot of harm by the criminality you were involved with, weren't you? No, I I have to disagree with you. I think drug prohibition works just the opposite way. It emboldens and empowers the criminal element. You know, alcohol is legal and alcohol creates a tremendous amount of problems. It's it's the the, the whole idea of just say no, N-O, is is wrong. It's just say no, K-N-O-W. We need to take all of the money that's used to try to interdict these drugs and lock people up in prison and use it for education to let people know that if you use certain substances and you abuse certain substances, you are going to create tremendous problems for your for your health and for the health of those people around you. I mean, you, you only have to look at cigarettes to, to, to see how, how dangerous they are. I mean, people become addicted to tobacco and nicotine and it destroys their lives. It destroys their lungs. You can't legislate morality. You can't tell people you can do this. You can smoke. You can, you can smoke cigarettes. You can drink alcohol, but you can't smoke pot or use cocaine or heroin. The biggest problem in this country today is is opiates that are prescribed by doctors that, that are put out, you know, these uh, uh, Oxycontin and so forth. Yes, drugs, the drug problem is a huge, huge problem, but it's never, ever been solved by, by law enforcement and by interdiction. All that does is drive up the value of it and embolden and empower the worst elements of our of our society created a huge outlaw state in the country of Mexico and enriched these drug barons and these drug cartels who are extremely violent. So it doesn't work. It's it's been proven. The war on drugs has been a huge fiasco, a big mistake. It's time to change that. It's time to spend that money on helping people to to understand what drugs drug addiction is all about and in setting up you know ways means of helping people what's your opinion on the way that marijuana has been legalized in in Colorado in Washington and I think it's on the cards in Canada as well 
Well, you know, the, the thing, of course, I mean, I think it's a good thing that it's been legalized. And I, I, I do think that what's happening now, though, is, is kind of crazy because uh, I don't know if you've been following this, but you can't actually bank the money because it's legal. It's legal. It's in a state, but it's not legal federally. So banks that are that are federally insured. Yeah. What's happening here is that in several states, uh, laws have been removed. Laws against marijuana have been removed, but the federal law still applies even if that law isn't being enforced and laws like anti-money laundering laws still consider this the proceeds of crime that's why you can't bank the money exactly exactly right and and you know it hasn't proven to be a huge disaster people aren't going around acting ridiculous and crazy it, it's actually working in the state of Oregon I think and, and Washington Washington DC several states have legalized it so I think it's working I really think it's working. the big question now is who's going to control it who's going to make the money and uh, it's likely um, Canada will soon bring in full legalization of marijuana some other US states might do that as well and um, do you think as this gains momentum enforcing the drug laws will just become impractical I, I think it will be extremely impractical and it's going to create cr a crazy kind of interstate transportation of marijuana and you're, you're in one state where it's legal and you go into another state where it's illegal and you can be arrested. It's absurd. The whole thing is crazy. But what we're faced with in, in the United States right now is we're faced with a, a reactionary government. You know, I mean, I know that there's, there's issues with the new attorney general, but this guy is nuts. I mean, both the president and the attorney general, the president's completely out of his mind as far as I'm concerned. How this man was ever elected, I don't know. That, that's the biggest mystery to me. And that's the saddest aspect of America that I've ever seen it, that this idiot would be elected as president of the United States. The guy doesn't know what he's doing. Do you think that the uh, Trump administration could put all of this into reverse? Well, the worst case scenario would be that they would roll back the laws and say, okay, we're going to stop this. We're not going to, we're going to, we're going to make it, we're not only going to make it illegal, but we're going to come down hard on all those states where they've, they've legalized it. We're going to take the money away. We're going to, we're going to put people back in prison. That would be the worst case scenario that, that there's a complete swing back to the right and that they, they, totally criminalize this plant again and go after all these people in these states where it's where it's legal. I don't think that's going to happen. And I'll tell you why. It's because money. There's a lot of money involved in these states that are, I mean, the state of Colorado is in, has, is in the black for the first time in many decades, you know, as far as their taxes, they make a, made enough money to, to, to save the state from insolvency. So that that's a, a reality that they can't get around. You know, there's huge amounts of money to be made in the marijuana business for, for these states by taxing it. And I don't think they're going to, I don't think it's going to come to that, but you, you never know. You never know what could happen. Um, I do think we're in the hands of the Philistines. These people don't know what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous in this country right now. You're writing the third book in your trilogy now. What's the third book about? The third book is called In the World, Life After Prison, and it's about uh, getting out after eight years of maximum security prisons and how, how one sort of readjusts to the free world and what what I would do that would kind of uh, give me the same kind of uh, adrenaline rush and satisfaction and and uh, enjoyment that that uh, smuggling pot did. So what I did, of course, was get involved in the in the filmmaking business and documentary films, which is what I do now. I'm a I'm a filmmaker and a writer, and that's that's 
it's all about that. It's about I call parole, fatherhood, and and Hollywood. Those are the sort of three aspects of it. One one last thing, um, Richard, you're clearly a well-educated person. You're not at all typical of the type of person who's locked up under the drug laws. Mostly they're people who didn't have great opportunities. Do you feel any responsibility to them? What are you doing to help the people who are still uh, inside on non-violent drug convictions? Well, what we've been doing and what I've been doing is trying to help them get out and try, by trying to change these laws. And also, you know, I think the big thing that, that re, the major cause of, of imprisonment in this country is is lack of education. You know, it's the culture, the culture that, that and this is what I learned coming, you know, living in, in prison for eight years. And I came from a fairly affluent middle class background, grew up in Massachusetts, went to good schools. But by lo- being locked up in these prisons, prisons all those years and meeting these people and seeing where they came from and the disadvantages that they had in life and and the the few alternatives that they had made me realize that what we really need to be spending this money on is education and we need to be we need to go into these to these places and parts of the the country where people need education and these guys need to be given an opportunity to change their lives and to find something that they can do that's worthwhile. You're always going to have a small percentage of people who are going to get involved in crime no matter what you do. And those people deserve and need to be punished. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, people, violent criminals need to be in prison and need to be punished. But nonviolent drug offenders need education. They need to know why these drugs are bad, why they're wrong, how they can improve improve their lives, how they can improve the culture, how they can save their families. They need an alternative to being out there in the streets and selling drugs. Richard Stratton, author of Kingpin, recently published by Arcade Publishing. Thank you very much for talking to me. Well, thank you very much. It was good. I enjoyed it. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast, published on June 9th, 2017. I have links to Richard's books and other information in the show notes on the website for this podcast. And if you know someone who I should interview or have an idea for something I should be covering, please get in touch. I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, there is one thing that you can do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at ChallengingO. And most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use iTunes. You can use Google Play Music. There's an RSS feed if you use any other software. And I know not everyone actually uses podcast software. So there's a feature on the website where you can enter your email address and get a free, simple email each time there's a new podcast online. No spam at all, I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. The assistant producer is Liam McLaughlin. Thank you for listening.